Welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For this show, we usually have three co-hosts, myself, Mary Haddix-Hermans, Shamram Kunas, and our friend Hunter Sagona. Hunter, Mary, and I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, dot, 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 and everything in between. And our quote of the day, the quote of the day, is nothing other than, all together now, let, let do the time, time warp again. again. <laughs> if you didn't catch that, it's let's do the time warp again. You'll <laughs> uh, in the cult classic, that said quote is from Sweetheart's Brad, who in the film was played by Barry Bostwick, and Janet, played by a very young and unknown Susan Sarandon, stuck with a flat tire during a storm, discover an eerie mansion, um, which is the residence of Dr. Frank N. Furter, uh, played by none other than the legendary Tim Curry. Uh, and Frank N. Furter is a transvestite scientist. As their innocence is lost, Brad and Janet meet a house full of wild characters, including a rocking biker, played by the late Meatloaf, and creepy butler, Richard O'Brien, through elaborate dances and rock songs, Frank Enferter unveils his latest creation, a muscular man named Rocky. So we are going to talk, in case you couldn't tell from those particular details, that we are going to talk about none other than the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Woo! Um, which I'm sure we are all very excited about. I'm sure many people are wondering, dear God, why would you do that? So <laughs> we got both ends of the spectrum. Yes. So with that, we will start. All right, and welcome back to the Act 2 portion of our Rocky Horror Picture Show um, little discussion here. So we pick back up with a deleted scene from the movie called Once in a While, uh, sung by Brad. And I don't know if Brad's had a solo song since the since Janet from the beginning. Yeah, this um, is the only right, which is not even I mean it's not a solo at the beginning because I think Janet sings and the chorus sings. So really, this is only his it's his only solo, um, entirely. And I guess I have a question for you, whoever wants to answer it. Why do you think one it's deleted and two it's his only solo now? You got an idea, Sean? Well, you, you know, here, here's my only take on this. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, how do I say it? Um, yeah, basic. No, um, <laughs> it's no. not, it's not, you know, I mean, Hunter, uh, I think, I actually think that uh, Brad's song is Damn It, Janet. Yeah. I think that's his one number. Um, it it is in a way it is i feel like i mean it's the one acoustic song that doesn't really fit the the mindset of the piece so that's probably why they deleted it um mm -hmm. it is it's very beautiful it's very lyrical very beautiful i thought um it's it too around, lyrical uh, for kinda, the show 
kinda, yeah. I mean, it it gets pretty deep into Brad's character because this is kind of like when Brad and um, uh, Janet are both sleeping, and Brad kind of wakes up in kind of a fright, and he's like, "Yeah, what if you know, blah 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 happens, and blah blah blah." You know, he's like, "You know, I'm I'm kind of complaining about my problems," and this is kind of like the the exit into uh, out of Act One into Act Two, and. It, it feels like, in a way, Brad is starting to dissolve his uh, qualities as like a very sh- scaredy cat, kind of like, you know, not a very, not a pushover, you know? He starts mm-hmm. to kind of become his own person. And I feel like, in a way, they did they deleted it because it might have been too long for the movie. But also, it's, it's kind of important to, to kind of visualize how important it is for... Um, Brad's character, which is that it shows the evolution of his character and shows how he's starting to, to like stand up for himself, you know, and, and just kind of see what, what Brad wants, you know, rather than what the societal norms will are, are, you know, and I think that's almost kind of like what we talked about with company last week, Hunter, where it almost feels like it, it doesn't, he, he wants to not tackle normality anymore because he's seen, you know, other things and it's starting to change his mind. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I I wonder if it was deleted because of, of timing or something. But, like, it is the one tune that Brad gets to, to really show his character development. I think if, you know, without this, um, you can see the change that Brad goes through, but it's never directly, like, stated. Um, and I, I honestly wonder if that is the reason, because <coughs> in this one, the... Um, the writer like shines a light on someone actually going through this whole maybe I want to you know join this more progressive train of thoughts and so I wonder if it might have been um you on the nose and that's why they took it out a part of me does um but at the same time like even without it like the rest of it rest of Rocky Horror is still just as um interesting is the word i'm going to choose right now but i'm i mean with it in um it gives brad's character so much more uh like reflection time um but i do think you know maybe it was deleted because it was the most on the nose depiction of of like this message they're trying to get at i mean it was just a thought i had while i was you know while i was listening to it that it seems, you know, like you said, out of the blue. Not necessarily out of character, but doesn't really fit with the rest of the show. But it does. It's, you know, it's very all over the place. Um, so moving on from from that one, unless anyone has anything else. No, I, I'm ready to move on. Yeah. So then we get to Eddie, which is sung by Dr. Scott, the criminologist, Janet, Columbia, Frank, Rocky, Brad, Riff, Raff, uh, Brad, Riff, Raff, and Magenta. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to clarify that. Um, I think it's funny that they they use. Um, it's late. I'm losing my mind. Um, the drum roll in the beginning, you know, it's very militaristic, and and I can't help but wonder if it's supposed to represent like you know the doctor's Eddie's uncle, and um, you know he's like he's the stodgy, he's the curmudgeonly one, so it's he's supposed to represent old. You know, it's like they always represent the old British people as being like war veterans or military men so stiff it's upper lip. right stiff upper lip very much like that so they use the drum to sort of signal him 
as a character of age and propriety, which is mm-hmm. the complete opposite of everything that the show is about. Yep. So it's funny a, that they act with it. No, you're right. What were you going to say? Mm-hmm. No, I, I was just saying it's funny that they start the second act with it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I just, I, you, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think in this scene, Eddie dies from a heart attack or something dead. like this. He is dead. He does. He does die. Um, so I think this song actually, it's really funny because they're eulogizing Eddie, but they're kind of making fun of him while they, they do it. Um, and it kind of brings us back to that whole idea of irony and how you can really use it and how it can really just be one of those things over the top. Because usually at a funeral, you don't roast somebody. But that they have all these characters there together. Or maybe maybe, maybe in Mary's case, maybe you do. I don't know. I mean, I have, I've never been to a, I've never been to a funeral where I've, I've seen a lot of dry eyes, but a lot of laughter. But um, and, and maybe... Um, in, in, in a way, it just kind of shows that uh, this this eulogy just it shows that you know it, sometimes it could be funny to just kind of celebrate someone while they're dead, but also make fun of them and and how funny they are. Um, but it's also a dance number. People are kind of moving around. It, it is pretty funny because you know it, again you wouldn't want to dance when someone's dead, but it, it's just kind of funny and how that's working and uh, it's moving around. There's a lot of action. Uh, but there is a really funny part um, where uh, everyone kind of finds themselves. Um, uh, you guys remember that scene where, like, they, they all see each other, like, Brad, Bud, Bud, and they kind of repeat all these different names and stuff like that. But my favorite is when, when they use that in, like, other situational, like, TVs or, like, comedies and stuff like that. But, like, it's really funny when, like, you guys see like there's, there's an episode of Family Guy where they're like, there's like, he's like Stewie, you know, no, no, no. <laughs> gotta keep pointing out different people, but the only person that isn't being mentioned is Loretta, and she's like, <clears throat> and then Cleveland goes, Loretta. <laughs> what do you think is kind of funny in, in a way because it's kind of like, it's this it's this thing where like everyone's trying to say all these different names and it's just it's over the top and it's hilarious and there's like so much layering going on. And, it is kind of ridiculous, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it's really funny, and uh, like I said, again, it's just kind of all over the place. So I do want to add to that because, um, I mean, funerals, right? You're right. Oh, you don't yeah. normally see dry eye or laughing, and um, it, it, it's something that, like, if you're going to have a funeral in a show or a musical theater show, um, you have to find ways for it not to completely stop the right you know the plot line and um or for it to be completely like set apart if that wasn't what you were originally going for um it's like in something like swore angelica you know opera <laughs> you know serious projections and serious scenes happen all the time and it just all connects because it's all under this one umbrella in rocky horror they dress it with irony and with a lot of layers of more of this this cra- crazy world to remind you where you're at and so um for me i see this as um more of a celebration of life of eddie in some ways um even though they may not directly say it um and especially 
I mean, now you, you see funerals and you see celebrations of life, which they are meant to be the same, but the, the philosophies behind them are not always. So I right. think it's just um, an interesting way to portray it so that it doesn't stop the flow of the show in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, there are not many times during a musical theater production where everyone can be on stage. So mm -hmm. um, I think this was a, a welcome opportunity to, because they need a distraction from that deeper content, even though it needs to be shown. Um, I think they had quite the opportunity to throw as many people on it as they wanted, you know. Um, we even could have seen Meatloaf possibly, you know. <laughs> Sorry. And his younger brother, Meatball. <laughs> yeah, um, but, um, <laughs> oh my yeah, God, Hunter. This one definitely, um, you can really see the layering, Sean's right. What's, what's the next song, Hunter? The next song is Planet Schmanet, Janet. Oh. Wise up, Janet Wise. Oh, yes. And, uh, yeah, so the, you know, the, this it's really just two or three chords on repeat the whole song with this really aggressive ostinato that keeps coming back. Um, and yet, back to the wordplay, you know, it's, it's a really clever uh, rhyme scheme and has a, a good rhythm to the or good flow to the lyrics, the, the pulse of the stress of the words. So I think it's a funny kind of, of song. Again, sung by Frank, so he gets a lot of wordplay. Um, obviously, this is character supposed to be fun, so uh, I didn't have too much about it, but what do you think? You know, what's interesting about it, Hunter, is, yeah, like, exactly, you know? <laughs> I also didn't really write a lot about it, but I did write the word rock, with an exclamation point. Um, in a way, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's obviously def defining the genre. Um, also, it, just also talking about the insanity that, you know, Frank wants to keep other people away from uh, Rocky, but Frank realizes that um, uh, Janet did hook up with Rocky in the touch-a-touch-a-touch-a-touch-me scene. Mm -hmm. And he gets very jealous, and like you said, like he then starts to decide to hook up with uh, with Brad. Um, and also, it's very edgy, like that punk rock stuff that we've been talking about, and that adds to the intensity of, of the piece. Uh, Mary? Well, I think that we can wrap both this one, the Planet Shmanet Janet, and the Planet Hot Dog that happens next. Oh, I think sure. they can fall under the same umbrella, because... Um, I think these are both really good palate cleansers after something like Eddie, um, mm. where, you know, the, a, after coming back from the first act, um, where they started with something like Eddie, I think these two serve to like bring you back to the, the plot that, um, was much more, uh, front and center. Um, and, you know, in general, I didn't write too much about these two tunes. They're, they're quite straightforward. Um, and, you know, rock definitely <laughs> just, it, that's all that the, the head banging, there's, there's a lot of it in these two for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Andrew, you want to talk about the uh, rose tint my world? Well, what's interesting about this one is this, depending on which recording you're listening to, this could be the longest song because it gets combined with a couple of things. So like there's a version of this that's like eight minutes long because it's, multiple tracks put together all under the umbrella of this number, Rose Tint. Um, 
And this whole thing is like, I mean, it's just a big debaucherous, like yeah. this and the next song, the fanfare and don't dream it, be it. It's all sort of one big number where he's obviously, uh, Frank is now like trying to, you know, make love to everybody and <laughs> have everyone have a good time and, you know, trip the life fantastic and all that. But, you know, it's just, a, it's a big spectacle number, right? I mean, there always has to be one big memorable show-stopping number. And up until this point, I think it was probably either um, Sweet Transvestite or Hot Patootie. But then this song hits and it's this big sort of like, I, have either of you seen Phantom of the Opera? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Masquerade is like the big, you know, it's the big opener to act two, and it's supposed to be this grand, I mean, it's a ballroom scene, I mean, it's, and it's, it is a masquerade ball. So it's supposed to be perhaps not the most important number in the show, but it's the, like, greeting, dance, welcome back, number. big dance, dance number. Yeah. What'd you say? Yeah. I, I was saying it might be the show stopper. Yeah. Exactly, right. So, um... I think that's what they were going for with this one, uh, especially since it combines, you know, the the main characters all in it. Um, so I think that's just it's worth noting for that reason, and it does have a little bit of a different sound to the rest of the the, sh the numbers in this half of the show. Um, I don't know how would you describe it. You know, I think it's interesting, Hunter. I feel like it's making fun of ballets. And yeah, that, I you know, think the, so. You know, the random, like, random ballets that are kind of inserted in the middle of musicals, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, those big dance numbers. I think it's kind of like you said, like, he's making love to everybody, and he's doing all this crazy stuff, and we don't really know how to describe it, but, I mean, honestly, it's just kind of like this big romp, and all these different things are happening, and uh, we're kind of getting to the point of the show where... It's everything's coming together. Everything is crashing down after Eddie's death. No one knows what to do. Um, everything is getting crazy. Uh, Frank is trying to seek revenge. You know, it's like all this revenge porn against like, you know, Janet. And he has all this stuff against Brad. And then they're all really confused. And uh, they kind of leave it all feeling kind of like this huge thing. And I feel like that kind of leads up to uh wild and untamed thing where it's just like this over the top just crazy and i think it, it goes back to what tim curry is saying and i heard laverne cox sing this and, and and they were amazing and one of my favorite parts is just reading some of these lyrics like i'm a wild and untamed thing i'm a bee with a deadly sting you get a hit and your mind goes ping your heart will pump and your blood will sing so let the party and sound rock on we'll shake it until life has gone Rose tints my world, keeps me safe from my trouble and pain. Oh my God, jeez! I mean, like you said, it, it's it's all this irony, all this like making fun of uh, you know, like regular theater, but it's like it's like <laughs> it's like metaphysical and it's just like over the top, and you don't really know how to explain it. But like all these different oh. musical aspirations are just it, it's it's kind of like it's all this blend of what's been happening before, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, I mean, you're right. This is the big number. But I think the one thing they were trying to do with it is if, if the wool wasn't already off of the eyes of everybody in the audience, this is like completely ripping it off. And like, you know, uh, 
shredding it in their in front of their eyes. Get at it, especially with all of Frank's endeavors uh, through it. Like if you didn't know what Rocky Horror was at this point, you do now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they definitely did it. I I love this number. Um, and what's really cool is that I uh, you know just again the versatility of a show like this. Um, I mean, there's a script and there are ideas, but uh, the way that this is particularly portrayed, you can um, up the spiciness level uh, depending on how much you act into it. And so, like, Tim Curry is definitely my favorite Frank, just because you rarely see Tim Curry in a villainous role. Or, uh, sorry, that was, I, you rarely see Tim Curry in a different role than a villain, is the way I meant to put it. Um, you know, and here it's not that he's a villain, but he's a very, um, different character. He, he touches different boxes than, um, you he know, our regular, yes, he does. You caught my drift. Um, <laughs> but he, he checks many boxes of like the, the, uh, a non-average, um, musical lead in some ways. So, uh, I think that this particular big number like Masquerade from the Phantom of the Opera. If you weren't sure about it, you ought to know by now. And, you know, I feel like this is a great segue into introducing Frank's goodbye um, from leaving the stage, which then leads us to I'm Going Home by Frank and Chorus. Um, you have to have a, a goodbye song for Frank. I mean, you can have, how, how do you not say goodbye to a character like this at all? I mean, doesn't you know what's weird guys is the song doesn't really match the character and it, it feels a little bit off but maybe that's because frank feels like he's he's taken his journey maybe he feels like it's time for something different so mm -hmm. like it may be in that frame vein and i think Hunter, you said it he's a very um impulsive character so yeah. maybe he feels like there is something he needs to do he needs to move on and try something different um it shows um, the honesty expression is an amazing thing. And there really isn't, I mean, I can't really come up with another name like a Frankenfurter in the musical theater world. That is just so over the top. So I it may, I'm sure you can. I, I just can't That's think of horrible. someone that outwardly expressive. Uh, Mary? The only other comparable one is like Dr. Horrible. Oh, sure. Yeah, I can't think of anyone else. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up um, how this one doesn't necessarily fit the character. Because with Frank, where Hunter's right, it's a very impulsive character, you know, you're expecting him to leave with a bang. And for him to, to get his own like send off in the show, you expect him to stay on stage the whole time. Um, it's, it's much more, um, diluted in this scene, I think, than most people would expect. You know, you, you expect him to throw on a, a feather boa in every color and then, like, be carried out on a throne. Like, that's how you expect him to exit. And then it, it's presented like this, which is much, uh, more unassuming. And, uh, Sean, I, I agree with your, your idea that it, it might be, you know, he's impulsive. And so now that he's decided he needs to move on, he just kind of, you know, puts on a, a, a new personality in some ways and uh, goes for that. So, mm. uh, you know, and I, 
I wanted to also just kind of note that the the punchline of Rocky Horror at, at the base of it is um, deciding who you're going to be. And, you know, after this mega number where we had Rose Tint and then um, the, the Don't Dream It, Be It, and then finally, like, Wild Untamed Thing, um, that whole number, which is sometimes, you know, a 15-minute spectacle. Um, the paid? Huh? An escapade. Yeah, an escapade. For it to be followed by an immediate, like, okay, I'm going to leave now. Um, in this sense, it's it's just quite, um, it makes you think about it a little bit. And I, I think, you know, what they're trying to say with um, don't dream it, be it, um, that idea of, of going and um, not necessarily moving on, but um, finding yourself and choosing and deciding who you're going to be. I think um, that this I'm going home is their um, signature line on that. Hunter, any actually final thoughts about um, I'm going home? No, nothing that hasn't already been said. Okay, all right. Well, we do say goodbye to Frank. We get a we get the time warp reprise. Um, Mary, you said it really well, and and when when you went to do it, I felt like the the reprise was more, um, as a matter of fact, to, to the relationship to the audience. So like it was a chance for them to kind of like get back out there, dance with the audience one last time. Riff Raff was kind of like, should we do it one more time? And everyone's like, yeah. And they would do all the dances and stuff, and we would kind of do it with the audience, and the audience would feel kind of connected to said uh, character. But mm -hmm. what's interesting about the the penultimate song, penultimate song only being released in the UK called uh, Superheroes, is um, in a way it's it it's kind of a description about how Janet and both um, Brad just kind of decide to move on from each other and just kind of say goodbye. Um, they kind of see each other as as they are, and they say, you know what, I, I guess you're not the person for me, but it was nice knowing you and blah, 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 and they kind of lived through all this stuff together, and it made them realize that they were kind of looking for different things, you know, and I think that's just kind of, I think what they saw was Brad saw what Janet had with uh, um Rocky and uh, I think Janet saw what uh, Brad had with Frank and I think it just it felt different and I think a lot of them and I think the word superhero a lot of people kind of think about you know the the connection to the actual like the superhero itself but in, in other words it's kind of playing it's kind of playing to the opposite effect of like why are they not like a superhero like they're, they're seeing their flaws and they're kind of talking about what's wrong with each other, and then they kind of uh, penultimately, ultimately leave each other, um, but in a, in a graceful way, where they kind of say goodbye to each other, and they're kind of talking about each individual aspect of one another, um, which is kind of what I thought. It's very beautiful in that um, it's a very uh, rock lamentation, as I wrote down, uh, and that being that it has this very kind of like slow rock feel, but it also has this kind of like descending progression that kind of ends up being kind of like, a, I guess kind of a sad way to end the, 
the, the the musical but and also it also kind of echoes the same fact with uh frank's leaving i'm going home you know in that like he's able to to go back to transylvania both the characters of brad and janet are both leaving you know so it, it almost sets the a more realistic aspect of what happens in you know going on relationships so mm -hmm. yeah. yeah hunter or oh, sorry, Mary. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead oh, okay. Um, well, I was just going to say it, it's interesting, one, because this was only released in the UK version. Um, and I wondered if either of you knew why it was like that. I, I mean, Hunter, you, I Hunter, 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 I mean you, you've been talking tonight a lot about the relationship that punk rock has had to UK and a lot of the, um, the relationship that rock had to the UK and, 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 and the original area. Um, do you have any final thoughts about how um, British rock has made this musical so special, but also how maybe the theme of the, the last song kind of plays into that? Or maybe how uh, British rock can sort of impact this this last piece? Maybe. Well, I mean, when you put it like that, I mean, it's it, I think the intention of, you know, the, the counterculture movement, the intention of the rock movement, you know, it was to counter the, you know, the Beatles, right? I mean, that was basically what they were trying to go against here, which was, you know, this this sense of, you know, a lot of Beatles music, you know, it was it was real. It was, you know, talking about situations. It was about love, right? Love in general. And and which is generally something that I would think songwriters say is happy go lucky. Um, and I think a lot of times the, the counterculturists were trying to point out the obvious flaws of society, the obvious problems with it um, in, a, in a mocking kind of way, you know what I mean? And so I think this song being added for only them was sort of their way of saying, like, we just had this ridiculous farcical um, adventure in which everybody compromised themselves there's absolutely no way that you could go back after that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there, how could Janet and Brad possibly have made up with each other after that? Yeah, Not no, necessarily I... because they intentionally betrayed each other, but it's like the reality of life is that if you mess up, you mess up. You know yeah, what I mean? And, and you have to, you have to move on. You know what I mean? But that doesn't necessarily mean that you can just forget about it. There are some right. consequences to it. And I feel like a lot and here in America, whereas, I feel like that kind of could have been skimmed over. The point of the movie was not for that. You know what I mean? That was not what the end goal of the film was. No, no, I don't think so. And I think uh, if Mary, you want to sum it up, but I just want to say like Hunter really said it very nicely, which is you're not going to be posting blame on someone, but it's about the change that someone makes when they live through something like that. And there's something that right. they see and they want to do something different with their lives. For me, superheroes, it kind of represents, um, I mean, first of all, where it was only released in the UK, Hunter was mentioning that the American version is very different. I think that there is um, there's just something to be considered when it comes to perspective with this, because uh, superheroes, yeah, right, we all think, you know, Superman or something when we hear that word. I think here it has a completely different purpose because it takes courage to be able to admit certain things about yourself. Mm -hmm. um, we, yeah. Everybody 
mixed up in situations where they can't explain how they got there. And for everyone, it's a step of courage to admit, just admit and commit to admitting, you know, our own flaws and recognizing that in one another and being able to part ways or move on in a um, holistic perspective. Because a lot of times, you know, I think if we had seen superheroes make it to the American version, it would not have like Rocky Horror would not have had the effect it did on the American people. Because even today, um, you know, with the LGBTQ movement where it is now, um, and even, you know, racism is still, like, very much alive in a lot of parts of the U.S. Like, I believe that it would have been harder to, to, to frame this in the American version because it so clearly admits to the flaws that a human being has portrayed during this show. And I, I think that that's why a lot of movies get a bad rap. Um, I, none of them I can pull up specifically right now, but those that, that like shine the light on, you know, the bad parts about humanity in some ways um, without, like in just a very clear and honest and open portrayal that often does not go over well. Um, if I may, to that point, um, it's not in a, it, and I think to prove your point, it's not an American film. It's um, an Italian film um, called La Grande Bellezza, which um, won the uh, Oscar for a foreign film a couple of years ago. Um, and it means the great beauty. And it's a film specifically about that. It's a film about uh, Roman, uh, not Roman as in like ancient Roman, but as in people who live in Rome. Uh, Roman high society, you know, the, the, the money makers of, of Rome and what do they do in their free time? And, you know, it, it, it's like what fills their, you know, people who have all this money, what do they do? Clubbing and the drugs and the, and the sex and, and, you know, everything that they could do to basically live this, you know, very um, Dionysian lifestyle, um, this bacchanalia, if you will, which is basically what this show is. Um, and that's, like I said, it's an Italian film, it's a European film, which I feel like often takes that theme more so than films here in the U.S. And then when in the U.S. sees a film like that, which points out those flaws, it hits them deeply, but only amongst certain audiences who are used to viewing that kind of film. You know, it's not going to, that film was never going to be a big commercial success because no one would, not that no one would understand it, but it wouldn't hit them as deeply. It wouldn't get the point across. Yeah. And, um, sorry, Mary, go ahead. No, go. I, I was, you'd, you'd go. No, I was just going to introduce the last song, but if you were going That's go. what I was. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Mary. <laughs> well, I mean, our last two songs uh, that Rocky Horror does are reprises, right? Um, we get to hear... <laughs> Again, the time warp, which is great. Um, and it, this time, um, it's, uh, well, I mean, time warp comes before superheroes, technically. So, I mean, we get two reprises at the end. Superheroes was meant to go between in the UK version. And then, you know, right at the end of the show, we again get to see the beginning again, science fiction uh, double feature um, and the return of the lips. So, um, I, I think... You know, in, in every great story, there is cyclical content. Um, this idea that you 
you return to where you began, the idea of the Ouroboros evades um, so many different cultures. And um, like, I, I think that Rocky Horror is one of those shows where uh, all of a sudden here we are at like, I'm going home and then we throw our hands up and like, what do we do now? Oh, let's bring the list back out and call it a day, you know? Um, <laughs> that might have been exactly what went on in, in yeah. the writer's brain to a point, but it really does kind of put a bow on it. Um, so, I mean, what did you guys think about this this final reprise? Hunter, you want to go first, buddy? Yeah, I want to say the what's interesting, I noticed that the final reprise, it's the same tune, sung the same way. However, the orchestration of the tune is different. The, I think it's a glockenspiel, added beneath the tune, it, I feel like it's supposed to bring back the sense of innocence, which of course we know is lost, because obviously the glockenspiel is often associated with children or, or something innocent in general. And it's twinkle. also used, pardon? I just said twinkle, twinkle. Like Right, stars, exactly, you know? yeah. Like, no, you're completely right. And it is meant to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's meant to also double, I think, with this creepy effect, because sometimes children and things associated with children are also used to be creepy. Um, so you've got both innocence and loss of innocence embodied as once the dichotomy is there, um, meant to close out the show you in a comfortable way, because it was a comfortable opening song, it's a comfortable closing song, but the whole tone of the show is now different. Hunter, you made the connection to outer space for this, right? Well, I mean, yes, then you've got the stars that they're referring to in the, with the glockenspiel because it's often used to represent the unknown spacey, which again brings back the creepy in it because sometimes that's part of it as well. I mean, they could have brought in a theremin, but they chose it instead. No, right? <laughs> That'd be too Beach Boy-ish. That'd be too much beach. It would. Yeah. Um, Mary? No. Oh, sorry, Mary. Well, no, Hunter put it really, really well. I don't think I'd recreate anything you just said. That was great. Yeah, I know. Oh, you're not saying. He's too good. I pay him too much. No, I'm <laughs> much <at> all. Um, <laughs> again, as I always say, it is always a pleasure to talk to y'all about musicals. Um, so please listen for the outro. We'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Uh, Hunter, go ahead, buddy. Do I start that? Right. Yeah. Okay, I am, in the words of Spongebob, I am ready. Thank you very much to the Rocky Horror Picture Show for its enduring legacy in the annals of uh, musical theater history. Um, and really just as its lasting cultural impact. So I guess that's sort of where I want to leave off with you guys. Final, uh, well, I sort of just stole Mary's thunder here, but I'll pose the question to you both. Um, you, in your mind, what is the lasting cultural impact of this show? Sean, do you want to go first? Do you want me to? That's a loaded question. Um, but I'll, But I'll say this. Hunter, it always feels like whenever we talk about musicals, we always tie it into real life. And I think that just means that there's just always more to tell. You know, we're never really done. Mm -hmm. I think that my, never... 
that's that's just that's just what life is like. I mean, honestly, we're always looking to be better. We're always looking for the next thing. We're always looking to to the future, but we can't look to the future without looking to the past. So, in a way, it is pretty groundbreaking because it does all the things that you know we talked about. Maybe you and I had talked about in hair. About how it jumping several decades through、mm-hmm. random areas of music, but also just because of the characters themselves. I mean, honestly, I just can't think of anybody more like like a Frankenfurter. I mean, just that character is just so unique and so different and so honest, and honestly can be such a big you know hero to those、uh, who celebrate LGBTQIA. Stuff. So I think that's just so amazing and so wonderful, and can be so exonerated and just honestly just so different, you know, and just be so cool for so many people. Yeah, for me too. The, I mean, the message that I get from Rocky Horror is,、um, don't dream it, be it, go and be that person that you wish to see. And you know, you can you see that in mottos of philanthropies anywhere. Be the change that you want to see in the world. Be the light, you know,、um, to constantly be working towards this、um, ideal, which is very interesting because I think that the other thing that Rocky Horror does well is that ideal is not normal,、um, and like the ideal person for everyone is truly personal, and to to really listen to that inner part of yourself. And for me, I really wish that other versions had superheroes because that's where I got a lot of it.、Um, and so I think that there's a whole kind of in the in the show a little bit when it comes to really directly stating that.、Um, and in certain versions, that is. But、um, thankfully, here on Music Speaks, we look at you know the whole of things when we can. And、um, Rocky Horror, just in general, it, it inspires, it scares, it、um, <laughs> you know, it makes people generally uncomfortable. So that, or it, you know, I think that was the, the common conception of it was, it you know, it's meant to to take people out of their box of comfort and show them what is outside of it, so that they can choose、um, more informed and and chase you know whatever it is that they want. In life, and so I, you know, for me, I think that it's it's much so an inspiration even today, you know, forty years later. Yeah,、mm-hmm. you, you know, if I can add one last thing before we before we exit is、um, Hunter. We talked about perks of being a wallflower, Mary. Yeah, I think we did.、Much. But、um, in the book and in the movie, they highlight the the show, the Rocky Horror Picture Show,、um, and in the show. It, it it honestly shows this character who feels like he hasn't been noticed. He feels like he's getting put in the background. He's not getting enough attention. That there is a place for everybody, and I think that's just that's so that's so humanitarian and just so honest about about life. Is that yes, we can feel different, but we should be able to celebrate that. And that's also what I kind of want to do with this podcast, especially with y'all too. Like how we we don't want to specifically. Specifically, work on one thing. Yes, I love classical music. Hunter loves early Broadway. Mary loves everything in between. But I'm just saying that when we talk about all these different kinds of music, we don't specifically talk about one kind. We celebrate all kinds of music and all kinds of people and everything everywhere. So, and that's just something that makes it 
such a wonderful musical to talk about. Mary, what do you want to say? I just wanted to add one thing because like we we see this this depiction everywhere but like there's a place mm. for you know it's it's everywhere this this constant communal feeling um of finding identity and um camaraderie and humanity and so i you know thanks rocky horror this was a really good way to to put it so mm-hmm. we want to thank you again, Rocky Horror, for being your fabulous self, for being your groundbreaking and honest individual being. And of course, my name is Sean Ramkunis. I'm Mary Haddix Hermans. And my name is Hunter Sagona, and we will see you next time. And remember to keep listening to what you love. Job, yeah. Okay, so, you know, I just want to say this before y'all go, but um, y'all are too good at this. You don't need me anymore. Uh, you guys are you guys are so good. Well, I'm not, maybe not that, but I meant to say, like, you guys are just so good at reading cues, just understanding things. Um, Hunter, the way you talked about that last piece, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, man. That's why I was like, I have nothing. You got... <laughs> You got, you got fire in those veins, man. Oh, thanks. Those veins, man. Yeah. I'm so proud. Of, I'm I'm so proud of all of y'all guys. I, I mean, honestly, this this team. I feel like uh, I should be doing the same thing here. Everyone's no, doing this. <laughs> I'm just I'm so proud of everybody making the effort to to do all these amazing things. Hunter, would you mind just stopping the recording for a second? Sure. I probably should have done that. So I can go... uh...